and for Susie to open the scriptures, let me read from Exodus. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Did you enjoy hearing from Harv Powers last Sunday? Yeah, so good, right? It is the last time we're bringing in our marriage counselor to do a sermon. It's like he was airing our dirty laundry, man. No, I think a lot of people felt that way because that which is most personal is most universal. And so as Harv was talking about those raw spots, I think there wasn't a person in the room who couldn't identify uh, with that experience. But I wanted to ask you this morning, have you heard of this phrase or seen this online, hashtag first world problems? Have you seen this? Okay, if you haven't, let me bring you up to speed. Here's a few hashtag first world problems. My wallet is too small. Mm-hmm. Had to wake up for the ironing lady to come and collect our clothes, and she still isn't here. Trouble. I just had a cup of tea with soy milk. It was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. <laughs> Peeling pomegranates has to be one of the most painstaking tasks in the world. Mm-hmm. I have a paper cut on my iPad finger. Every tweet is agony, but I persist bravely. <laughs> I know, ridiculous, right? I can't believe I bought a toaster with no bagel setting. No Shiraz, so had to use Merlot in the beef. How do you say that again? <laughs> that, yes, that fancy <laughs> dish. <laughs> First world problems. Why is it we feel this way? Why do we react with sort of these groans and crying out when we think something has gone wrong or we've suffered in some way? Of course, you could easily say, because we have this problem with entitlement, this sense of entitlement, that's one angle. But also, could it be, because at the core of our humanity, we have this deep desire to be in control, to manage our own lives, to avoid our pain and suffering, to stay two steps ahead of any trouble, to stay three steps ahead of our pain, to muscle our way through? Could it be because, uh, as Harv said last week, we don't want to be mere mortals. We want to be like God. And we think that it's possible to thrive separate from God. First world problems are kind of like a funny way to show these irritations uh, about our desires to be in control. But of course, if you just scale that up, there are so many ways in which we try to control our own lives and how that leads us into trouble, into enslavement. So just think about an addict who's exposed after years of hiding and deceiving, and his family's devastated, had no idea. Or I was just talking to some small business owners on South Pearl Street 
Uh, how about this one? A wealthy shopaholic is caught in the act of stealing. It's like her only form of adventure is that in a very predictable world. Or what about the executive who works 15 hours a day, barely able to stay awake, rarely present for his family? Or the diabetic who cannot stay away from sugar? Or the middle-aged woman who cannot stop getting more plastic surgery? And when asked, she says, I'm just going to keep working on me until I find the me that I like. Or what about the accountant who cannot stop doctoring the books at work? Even though at home and at church, he's a very trustworthy man. Today we're starting this new series called Leaving Egypt. And in the Bible, Egypt is the place where God's people are enslaved for 430 years. And Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus is the story of deliverance. It's their story of finding freedom from slavery. For this series, the Exodus story is our story. Because we are all enslaved in little and big ways. And we are all in need of deliverance. We're all in need of freedom from the personal Egypts of our lives. We are slaves to things like image and appearance and relationships and substances and compulsive behaviors and abusive systems, and the list can go on and on. We're all enslaved in and by these Egypts in our lives, and it's like the, there are these pharaohs that are demanding our allegiance. And we find ourselves stuck. And we find ourselves in trouble. Each of us wrestles with what the Bible would call the old self, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul talks about the old self. Those are the, the parts within us that are still living in bondage in Egypt and haven't left slavery for the flourishing that we're made for. So we're going to look at this story, the Exodus story, over the next four weeks. Um, and today, we're going to talk about acknowledging our chains. Uh, how did the people of Israel get into slavery? in the first place? How did they find themselves there? You know, for years, the Israelites found safety and security and provision in Egypt. Life in Egypt began with great hope and great possibility. Um, many of them would have said, we're not slaves. God has given us a good life here. And you know, that is often how it is with the Egypts in our lives as well. They begin in a good place of provision, of security, of safety. And it was hard for the Israelites to leave Egypt. It was hard then, and it is hard for us now. It took them 430 years, the Bible says. The reality is, when it comes to our personal Egypts, our enslavements, they're not all bad. They are very often rooted in goodness, there's a certain appeal to even the greatest vices in our lives. What makes enslavements of Egypt very powerful is that they're connected to good desires. Desires in us, placed there by the creator himself. Uh, so think about the gambler for a minute. The, 
person who has a gambling addiction. Where did that begin? With the desire for risk, for adventure, good things. And all of a sudden, there's a gambling addiction over time that is enslaving and trapping like a prison to the gambler. But it began with this desire, this good desire for risk, for adventure. Think about the woman who is in an abusive relationship. Under that is probably a desire for security. Of course there is. God's placed in her a desire for security. But now she's in an unhealthy relationship and feels trapped to ever even leave. Our everyday struggles with addictions, idolatries, enslavement of any kind represent a search for goodness, for life, for home. And it's really as we begin to embrace our true identity as God-loved, God-blessed people, can we find the courage to leave Egypt. That's like the hardest battle of all sometimes. So this is what happened with the Israelites in Egypt. They were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You start the Bible off in the book of Genesis. If you were to pick a key word for that book, it would probably be beginnings. Genesis is the book of beginnings. If you were to pick a key word for the second book of the Bible, Exodus, it would probably be the word deliverance. But here you have the Israelites who are the descendants of the covenant. That is their true identity. That is their true story. But slowly and steadily, over the span of four centuries, a different story, a different identity takes hold of them. It's the story of Egypt. It's not the story of their noble beginnings. It's not that they are the people of the covenant. Now it is the story of Egypt. And Egypt is really the place where you and I forget our noble beginnings as image bearers created in goodness, created in love, created for love. Egypt is the place where we forget about that. And we become enslaved to lesser loves. Sometimes we call these lesser loves, uh, that you know, these twisted lesser loves, we call them addictions, we call them idols, but they're all the big and, diff- big and little ways that we seek to control our own lives. And we kind of, in Egypt, almost develop a, like a spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are. I mean, at, at your lowest point in life, you probably say something like, who even am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. That's what happens in Egypt. Our identities erode, and we literally lose ourselves. We forget who we are. G.K. Chesterton says this. We have all read in scientific books, and indeed in all romances, the story of the man who's forgotten his name. The man walks about the streets and can see see and appreciate everything, only he cannot remember who he is. Well, every man is that man in the story. Every man has forgotten who he is. See, when we're in Egypt, we often choose to cope. We cope 
with food, with alcohol, with porn, with drugs, with relationships. We cope with good things like work, throwing ourselves into good causes. There's a variety of ways, even our hobbies, our families, places that we cope. Chuck DeGroat says we cope rather than surrender. So if you can imagine Egypt, and there's two paths. One is that of coping, and one is that of surrender. So first let's talk about coping, then let's talk about surrender, what those look like. So just to illustrate coping, um, a pastor friend of mine wrote these words, and I just want to read them to you, uh, because I think a lot of us can relate with this. My pastor friend said this, I used ministry itself as a way to cope, a way to numb the unease of my life so that I wouldn't have to deal with the root issue. He said, I battle against an ever-present need to be perfect. I feel I simply must be the smartest, holiest, most prepared, best at everything that I do. Why? Because if I'm not superior in essentially all aspects of life, then I have failed. And if I fail, then I'm a waste of a space on this planet. I might as well not be here. This pressure to be perfect causes quite a bit of anxiety, especially when you work in ministry and others unintentionally kind of sometimes assume the same thing about you. So I dove headfirst into ministry. I worked long and hard to be the best there was. I rarely said no. I never delegated. I prayed for help, and then I moved right on without really stopping to listen for an answer. After all, I pretty much knew what God was going to say, didn't I? I preached a lot of sermons about how God doesn't care if you're perfect or if you fail, it's all grace. And I meant every word of those messages for the people I was preaching to, at least. They didn't really apply to me, though. I knew that I was slowly, or maybe quickly, dying inside. But I couldn't stop to examine the inner workings of my soul. That was too scary of a prospect. I just had to keep pushing, keep the inevitable pain at arm's length by staying focused on work. That strategy worked for a time until it didn't. And eventually I reached a point at which I literally would be in my office or at home crying, weeping, groaning. I was trapped in a slavery of my own making and I couldn't fix it. Here's the thing about slaveries in our lives, ways in which we cope. There's as many ways to cope as there are people in the world. Some of the common ones, though, some of the common ways uh, in which we cope from the pain in our lives, compulsive work, addictions to drugs, alcohol, porn, food, constant anger and resentment towards others, always placing blame anywhere but yourself, a smug attitude of superiority over virtually everyone you meet, or perhaps over everyone you meet virtually online, a need to be right all the time. We cope rather than surrender. So let's talk about surrender. What does that look like? In Exodus 2, we read these words. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. And if you had a Bible on your lap, I would say underline these three words. The Israelites groaned. The Israelites groaned. 
in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And then you could underline these words. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The first step in surrender, the first step on the path of surrender is acknowledging our chains. The first step is saying, I have to confess I'm enslaved, I'm in trouble, I'm powerless to change. As long as I am still sure I can fix this myself, I'm on a path of coping. It is only when I admit my chains that I begin the path of surrender. So in Exodus 2, we see the people groan and cry out. That is the first time the Hebrew word groan is used in Scripture. See, they finally realize this is not the way it is supposed to be. This cannot be all that there is. This condition of slavery is not right. They finally acknowledge that. So the expositor's Bible commentary says this, no longer did Egypt symbolize delightful foods, wealth, and fatness. Instead, it now meant slave masters, forced labor, and bondage. We are all in slavery. There are pieces to all of us that are still trapped in our attempts to control our world. And becoming a slave in any area of our lives, it's a subtle process. It's like a long, slow con where we believe a lie. It's, the lie is trapping us not in physical chains, but in an illusion of control. And the original Hebrew word for Satan is actually the word accuser. So Jesus said of Satan that he's the father of lies. And we, what we do is we listen to his lies that tell us, like, you're better off on your own. You better take care of you because no one else is going to take care of you, certainly not God. So we begin down the path of coping and controlling. We believe the lie that we're better able to manage our lives than anybody else, including God. So the original lie to the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden, do you remember what the serpent said? Eat this fruit and you will become what? Like God. Not mere mortals. Like God. You will have all of the knowledge. This is the lie. You'll have all the knowledge. You'll have all the experience. You'll have all the wherewithal to control your life. No need for God. No need for anyone else. So the lie of Egypt, the lie of our current situation, is when we say to ourselves, I don't need freedom because I'm perfectly self-sufficient. I'm not in chains. We don't actually think that we are wounded or hurting in any significant way so we don't walk down the path of surrender. We think the coping route will work. So what are characteristics of a life that is surrendered? I love how 
author Dallas Willard talks about spiritual formation and about a life surrendered to God. He says that a life surrendered to God has these components to it. A willing and radical surrender to God, community support, ruthless honesty, and accountability. Sounds a lot like an AA meeting, doesn't it? The Israelites were led to freedom by God through Moses. They did not liberate themselves. Surrender begins with groaning. From acknowledging the reality of our chains, of our bondage. Walter Brueggemann says this, it is voiced grief that mobilizes God to act in saving ways. The world of the Exodus is where the holiness of God lives in staggering response to the hurt of the slaves. For both parties, Israel and God, there must be a voicing. See, at the heart of it, Christianity is not a set of creeds. It's not church involvement. It is certainly not a theory or a set of philosophies. It's for sure not a a voting block. At the heart of it, Christianity, following God in the way of Jesus, is being an apprentice to Jesus. We are the apprentices. He is the master. And we are learning moment by moment, day by day, what life in his kingdom looks like. What are the values in his kingdom? What are the joys in his kingdom? What are the sorrows in his kingdom? At the heart of it, following God in the way of Jesus is being an apprentice to Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, going through life, realizing you hold the hand of one whose love for you knows absolutely no limits. That is the essence or the heart of the gospel. Learning to live life, everyday, normal, ordinary life in his kingdom with being an apprentice, with him as the leader, the guide, the master of your life. It's not praying a prayer once upon a time and hoping all will be well in the end. It's a moment by moment, day by day, walk with God. It is living life with God. It's the with God life. You know, for me, just a few nights ago, I woke up at like 3 in the morning. I don't know if this ever happens to you. It doesn't happen to me a lot, but I woke up 3 in the morning. I could not turn off my brain. Could not fall back asleep. And I was just, you know, worrying about the future, some different things in my life. I was playing out different scenarios. I was allowing fear to keep me from sleep. And when that happens to me, like when, when I just all of a sudden I'm going on a trail, train of thoughts like that at 3 in the morning, and when I come to an awareness, oh, this is a lot of worry. This is a lot of fear. This is a lot of anxiety. Do you know what I know? I know that I have left the with God life for that moment, and I am on the Susie self-sufficiency plan. I'm going to have it all figured out by 5 a.m. 
And when that happens, whatever that might look like for you, here's the thing. A quiet whisper of a prayer that says, oh, Lord, I confess, I am on a self-sufficiency plan again, and I want to be back in step with you. I want to step back into the stream of life by your side where you are the master and you are the guide and you are the one who is leading here, not me. When you pray that quiet confession, do you know what God is doing? God is not like when you turn back to him in that moment from whatever your coping might have been. When you turn to him in that moment, he is not standing there with a stick to whack you. He is not standing there with a prepared lecture to give you. He is not standing there with a look of irritation on his face. Do you know what he's doing? He is running towards you with open arms. When Jesus, the whole story of the prodigal son, the moment that he turns, the father is running to him, skirt uplifted, just all out running, arms outstretched. When you turn, when you acknowledge your chains, that is the posture of the father to you. It is, thank you, thank you. I, I just want to be in relationship with you. I just want to be back in step with you. So we can just simply say, that moment of awareness, here I am, Lord, helpless without you. There I go again, down my path of coping. Here I am, helpless without you. And when we do that, he is running with open arms. We don't have time to get into all of this right now, but as a homework assignment, if you want one, uh, I would encourage you to pick up, just, um, you can take a Bible, they're free in the back if you don't have one, or take yours, Romans 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul, especially chapter 7, starting at verse 7, through the end of chapter 8, Romans 7 and 8. If you would just go home and read those, the Apostle Paul is talking about, I am a slave to sin. He's talking about the Egypts of our lives. He's like, I'm a slave to sin. I do not do what I want to do. The things I hate, I do. And the things that, I mean, it's just this kind of funny passage of just the conundrum of sin is at work in us. And it's very interesting because there are three instances where the word groaning or crying out is used. Paul talks about how we groan and cry out, Abba, Father. He talks about how creation, all of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. And then he says that God himself groans. So just as we don't have time to go into all of that, but that's a very interesting way in which Paul is referencing the Exodus story in Romans 7 and 8. But this move away from slavery towards freedom requires humility. One of the desert fathers, St. Anthony, said this, I saw the devil's snares set all over the earth, and I groaned and said, what can pass through them? I heard a voice saying, humility. Step one of the 12 steps of recovery we admitted we were powerless, that we could not manage our own lives. And so this morning, we're going to give you just a few minutes to reflect here in this space together about what's the reality of your life? What is the Egypt that you are trapped in? What have you been using as fig leaves to cover, to hide, to cope? What do you need to groan out of? grown about 
In what ways are you trapped in slavery? And what do you need freedom from? So those questions will be on the screen for a few moments while the band comes up to um, just play a little reflective music. We're going to give just a little bit of space. And also, in your message notes this morning, there is a guided prayer activity that you're welcome to take out and reflect on right here and now, or you're welcome to take home with you and um, use later. These are just tools uh, that we hope you'll find helpful. Um, but the band is going to play, and we're going to provide just a little bit of space to reflect on this. Um, as we think about our chains, those areas of brokenness that are still in need of freedom, can I just uh, give us a lens through which to look at these? Uh, there's a song that Leonard Cohen sings. There's a line in the song, and the line is this, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. So pain in our lives, whether that is rejection or loneliness or grief or depression or fear or anxiety, those are cracks through which God's light can come pouring through. But if we never acknowledge those cracks, we miss the opportunity for God's light to come pouring through. And so actually, rather than a beat up on yourself, self-improvement plan, how do I get, rather than that lens, why not celebrate those cracks as an opportunity to see God's light come pouring through. And here's the thing, the more and more and more that happens, the freer you and I become of the illusion that we're in control in the first place. So to be an apprentice of Jesus, it has nothing to do with having your act together. That is not what it is about. It is about learning to work in and live in the light that comes pouring in through the brokenness, through the cracks of our lives. Well, let's pray together as we close, and then we'll have just a few moments of quiet reflection together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Abba Father, that every time we acknowledge a chain that we admit to the cracks. You are running towards us with open arms, always pursuing, always wooing, always inviting us into deeper intimacy with you. Would you speak to us and guide us now? Amen.